say good morning. I want to greet you in Christ's name. It's good to be here worshiping together. I've enjoyed the service already, the Sunday school time, and this time with the children. It's a blessing to be here. The title of this morning's message is Awareness of Spiritual Failure. And the text is taken from 1 Corinthians 10. I invite you to turn there, 1 Corinthians 10. I want to look at the first 13 verses. This passage of Scripture is a sobering um, lesson in history. And Paul is writing to the Corinthians to remind them of what happened in the past. And using it as a warning or a, a, uh, a lesson for them, a sobering history lesson. One of the most famous events in history is the tragic sinking of the Titanic. We've all probably heard the story around 1912 or so. The ill-fated ship sank just four days after starting her maiden voyage from Southampton in England, killing over two-thirds of the passengers on board. The Titanic was made by the White Star Line Company, who decided to build ships to a size and level of luxury unlike anything before. There was much publicity and the ship was famous even before it was finished as news of its chandeliers, ballrooms, and passenger rooms fitted with electric lights and heating. When it finally set sail from Southampton to New York on April 10, 1912, it had 2,224 passengers and crew members on board, yet was only equipped with 16 lifeboats, which could only hold about 1,708 people. The White Star Line knew they should have had more, but chose not to as they didn't want the decks to look cluttered and spoil the look of the ship. On 14th April, four days into its voyage, Titanic received five ice warnings, yet failed to slow down. When at 11.40 at night a lookout spotted an iceberg, it was too late to avoid the iceberg. This collision ripped a 300-foot hole in the ship which immediately began filling the lower compartments with icy water. It wasn't until 45 minutes later that the first lifeboat was launched, and by the time the last boat launched, there were still more than 1,500 passengers left on the sinking ship. At 2.10 a.m., the rear of the ship rose out of the water, and due to its vast weight, the ship then split into two. Eventually, Titanic completely sank. As there were not enough life jackets, many people tried to cling to anything they could find that would float. Eventually, 1,522 people died from drowning or hypothermia. Why tell the story of the Titanic in a message? It's a story of overconfidence and nonchalance. Why be concerned? Nothing can ship, sink this ship. My goal today is to raise awareness of the dangers we face as Christians and to destroy nonchalance and overconfidence in our own abilities, and to encourage us to place our trust squarely in the only one who is trustworthy. It is best to learn from other people's mistakes. Uh, we can learn from our own, but it's much more costly. It's easier to learn from others. 
There are many things to learn from if we will take the time. Many of us here today are not terribly fond of history lessons. And I will be sharing with you one that Apostle Paul felt was important for the Corinthian believers to learn. I believe it is for us as well. The history lesson today is especially addressed to those who are self-confident in their Christian experience. Overconfident in themselves. You say, I'm okay, you're okay. I'm on the right track spiritually. I have need of nothing. I don't need help. I've got it all together. Nothing can stop me. I was saved 20 years ago. And once saved, I'm always saved. I can never be lost because of my salvation experience in the past. There are strong warnings against presumption. And the key verse that we're going to be looking in our text there, if you have your Bibles open, is verse 12. It says, Therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. One of the surest ways to fall into sin is to become overconfident. We're sure that we are invincible. Christian maturity is not expressed in seeing how close we can get to evil without being harmed. This is not Christian maturity. This is juvenile thinking, and it's very foolish to be doing that. Christian maturity is expressed in our staying away from evil, to be aware of the dangers that are there and avoiding them, keeping a distance from the danger. The context for today's message is found in the last few verses of of, uh, chapter 9, verses 25 to 27. It says, Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly, I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. Paul says he is concerned about failure, that after he preaches to others he himself would lose out. That's very startling when you think about it. That Paul is concerned that after he preaches, he spent all his years preaching to other people that he, in the end, would lose out. He would be disqualified from the race. Let's stand together to read our text, 1 Corinthians 10, the first 13 verses. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction, on whom the ends of the ages has come. 
Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted above your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. You may be seated. Okay, I want to look this morning at the awareness of spiritual failure from Israel's history. And I'm going to be making four points from the message there. Experiences that we share with them, uh, examples we learn from, and exhortation that we receive. Encouragements we are blessed with. Four areas of the message. Um, I want to uh, acknowledge that I had help with this message from uh, Alistair Begg in his uh, teaching on 1 Corinthians 10. I want to look first then at the experiences we share with Israel. Paul was saying that we share experiences with Israel. Give me a second here, I've got to do something. Experiences that we share with Israel are uh, God's presence, number one, secondly, God's deliverance, and then God's provision. First of all, uh, let me read the first five verses again of our text. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food. And all drank the same spiritual drink, for they, all, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. I'd like you to note that um, the word all in this passage, the word all is there a number of times. Five times it shows us the universal experiences of the Israelites. They all experienced the deliverance and work of God at the Red Sea. As Christians, we go through these experiences. We have gone through these experiences as well. First of all, it's God's presence. The children of Israel all experienced God's presence. They were were going as a group. They were in a a multitude, and they all experienced God's presence with them. Um, They saw it in the cloud of the pillar of fire at night, uh, the pillar of cloud during the day reading from a couple of verses from Exodus 13, and they moved from Succoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. God was with them. God was guiding them. His presence was obvious with the children of Israel. God's presence is with us in the form of his Holy Spirit today. Secondly is God's deliverance. They all experienced deliverance. They experienced the deliverance 
through the Red Sea, so have we a glorious deliverance, a true miracle. But the people, Exodus 14, walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so that the people, so the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord in his, and in his servant Moses. God's deliverance allowed them to walk through the sea on dry ground. They were saved. They experienced deliverance. The Egyptians were types of sin and Satan. The Red Sea was their salvation experience. In our text, we read that uh, uh, verse, first two verses, for I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. We share that experience with Israel. We were all saved. If we are in this group here today, we're saved. We've been delivered from our own life. Old life, we've been saved from sin. We believe we're going to heaven when we die. It's a common experience that we have as Christians. Thirdly, they experience God's provision in their lives. Uh, Verses 3 and 4 of our text. They all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. These people had a common experience. They experienced the food, the manna, uh, the provision that was there for them. However, with most of them, God was not well pleased. And uh, I think of that wilderness scene there, the desert. No real evidence anymore of the bones there that fell in the wilderness. Our verse five, uh, verse 5 of our text says, Nevertheless, with most of them God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. You don't need to turn to it, but I want to read a couple of verses from Hebrews 3. Verses 14, 15, 16, and 17. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion. He's speaking of the Israel rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned and whose bodies fell in the wilderness? They all experienced the deliverance of God, mighty deliverance. And that deliverance is, is, is uh, similar to our salvation. It, it equates to our salvation and mighty deliverance. They experienced God's provision, God's guidance, God's presence. But the scripture says here that with most of them, all but two of them, God was not pleased. And the, the, the King James, I love it, he says, their carcasses fell in the wilderness. There are nothing but carcasses there, bones that are left there in the wilderness. They lay down and died. 
What is that telling me? What can I learn from that? We can go through all the experiences and we can be a part of a, of a church. We can have these great experiences. We can follow the cloud. We, we can drink from the spiritual rock, which is Christ. And we can lay down and die. Scripture is very clear that it happens. The carcasses of one-time Christians are all over the wilderness floor. It is the person who is so confident in himself that he can never fall that needs the warning today. All of us need to take a personal stock, even those who have, had, who have preached to others. That would be me. Others who have preached to others. Like the Apostle Paul, that we be not disqualified in the end. The problem is in our hearts. The problem is in our hearts. Our desires, the things, things that we set our hearts on, the things that we constantly think about, the things that we long for. The problem with the Israelites was that they set their hearts on evil things. Verse 6, if you have your Bibles open, look at verse 6. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 6. Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. They enjoyed all the blessings of deliverance and provision in God's presence, but their heart was set on evil. Can we sit through church Sunday after Sunday, week after week, and hear the word being taught and do all the things that God's people do and still have our hearts set on evil things? I think the answer is yes. Yes, we can. Jesus said to some of the religious crowd of his day, they draw near to me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Paul issues the challenge to the Colossian church. If you then have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Next in, this, in our text, Paul gives examples of failure, and I think we do well to listen up. How did the Israelites fail during their desert experience? What, in, in what areas did they fail? There may have been other areas that he doesn't mention, but he mentions a number of them, and I want to look at them briefly. The first one that he mentions is idolatry. Our, our text, verse 7, says, Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink, and rose up to play. And the warning that the Apostle Paul giving to the Corinthian church, and I believe for us today as well, is don't get involved with idolatry. Whatever you do, don't get involved with idolatry like they did. You don't need to turn to it, but I want to read an incident of what happened in in, in Exodus 32. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it 
And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. In Corinth, it was the idol temple, the worship of Aphrodite, the temple prostitutes who plied the streets openly. And the Corinthians were so impressed with their freedom in Christ that they thought they could worship God on Sunday and then go down to the temple and worship idols during the week. The Corinthians thought they had that freedom. Do we worship God on Sunday? And then through the rest of the week, we can worship whatever. This is the warning from the experience of the Israelite people. These idols, we know what they are. Anything that takes the place of God is exalted above where God should be. Our family even, our possessions, our job, our hobbies, our own bodies, our success, even our good reputation. Anything that we worship and comes between us and God is an idol. And we're bringing up our families, these little children we saw up here this morning, we're bringing them up in a very idolatrous culture filled with idols. Idolatry is failure to give God his rightful place in our lives. That is idolatry. And the question I need to ask myself as you do is, is there an idol in your experience that you need to get rid of? Because we need to learn from history. We don't need to learn through our own experience. We need to learn from what the Israelites went through. Secondly, it was immorality. Verse 8 of our text says we must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not. We must learn from the fact that they fell, their carcasses decomposed on the desert floor. It involved the sin with the Midianite women in the, time, in the case of Israel. Immorality uh, in our case is very can be similar but very different also. We are surrounded by influences that lead to immorality. Do you not know, Paul wrote to the Corinthians in chapter 6, that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. And the command is to get out, get away, take action, plan avoidance. From immorality. Take action. Take drastic action if you need to. Against the sin of immorality. Because we know what happened to the Israelites. Whose carcasses fell in the wilderness. Just a little personal thing that um, we've practiced as a family. And and one of them was that we don't um, turn on the television at a motel room. When we're out traveling. 
And uh, I remember at one time I was spent uh, five weeks up in Montreal, Quebec, in training. And one of the first things I did when I walked into that apartment that I had up on the 10th or 11th floor was I unplugged the television. And I, I feel good about that to this day. I left that thing unplugged. Um, Friday night on our way back from Minnesota, uh, we got a couple of hotel rooms Friday night. Uh, and I went over to see Joel in his little room. I said, Joel, you know, you're not going to turn on that television. You don't, you don't want to turn on that television. He knew. He wasn't going to, but I reminded him. And uh, it's, uh, it's stands that we take in our life, whether it has to do with the Internet whether it has to do with whatever other things that we have problems with, that we need to take a real stand. Do not enter the path of the wicked, the writer to Proverbs says. Do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it, do not go on it, turn from it, and pass away. Immorality. Are we going to learn from the 23,000 Israelites that died in one day because of immorality in the desert? The third area, example of failure from Israel is testing God. He says they tested God and with disastrous results. A couple of verses from Numbers chapter 11. He says, Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving, and the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up, and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. And the Bible says that the Israelites tried the patience of God. They tried the patience of God. They, they, they just tried him to the very edge. God's patience. They pushed him to the limit and beyond. And God told Moses that he was going to destroy the whole lot of them. I'm going to wipe them out, he said to Moses. He said, I'm going to wipe them all out. Uh, get them off and I'm going to, you know, your children can become my new people. And Moses talked God out of it. Sounds pretty amazing, but he did. And Moses talked God out of destroying the whole lot. We must not, from our text today, verse 9, we must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. We must not put God to the test. He is very patient, but he does have a limit to his patience. I read this story about a, uh, a young person who was helping a child put on some boots. And a teacher at a school helping one of the kindergarten students put on his boots. She pulled and he pushed, put, but the boots still wouldn't, didn't want to go on. When the second boot was finally on, she had worked up a sweat. She almost whimpered when the little boy said, Teacher, they're on the wrong feet. She looked, and sure enough, they were. It wasn't any easier putting, pulling the boots off than it was putting them on. She managed to keep her cool as together they worked to get the boots back on, this time on the right feet. Once the boots were on, the little boy announced, These aren't my boots. She bit her tongue rather than get right in his face and scream, Why didn't you say so? Like she wanted to. Once again, she struggled to help him pull the little ill-fitting boots off, once the boots were off, the little boy said, The boots aren't mine. They're my brother's boots. My mom made me wear them. <laughs> <laughs> it 
The teacher didn't know if she should laugh or cry. She mustered up the grace to wrestle the boots on his feet again. When the boots were back on for the third time, she said, Now, where are your mittens? The little boy said, I stuffed them in the toe of my boots. Does God get to the end of his patience? That is a question that we have to ask. And the answer is yes, he does. His patience is amazing. It is with me. His patience is amazing. It's huge. It's huge. His patience is big. But the command to the Corinthians and to us is don't put God to the test like they did. Don't put him to the test. Don't do it. The Israelites did and suffered the consequences. God sent snakes to bite them. We know this, the story of the snakes. The fourth example is, is grumbling. Verse 10 of our text, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Grumbling is giving audible expression to unwarranted dissatisfaction. That's what grumbling is. Unwarranted, giving audible expression to unwarranted dissatisfaction. We know better than God. We are challenging his wisdom. Are you a grumbler or a complainer? Do you grumble about things all the time? Do you complain a lot? Are you mumbling and grumbling today? Did you mumble and grumble when you needed to get ready for church this morning? Are you a mumbler and a grumbler? That's wrong. To grumble. That's what the scripture says. Don't grumble like they did. You're voicing dissatisfaction with what God has put in your lives. And you're not to be doing that. Complaining is a serious sin. Contentment glorifies God. Grumbling does not. Grumbling shows discontent and unthankfulness toward God. Grumbling will take God's patience up to and beyond the limit. Grumbling is serious. Grumbling is in the same list as idolatry and immorality and testing God. Paul says to the Corinthians, don't do it. Don't put God to the test. Four failures to avoid you, Corinthians, and all of you at Bethel Mennonite Church this morning. There's idolatry, there's immorality, there's putting God to the test, there's grumbling. Which of these failures is the one you need to watch out for? What is your struggle? You can only answer that. But we need to learn. We need to learn from other people's mistakes so we don't do them. I want to move on then to the exhortation that Paul gives to the Corinthians and to us. Verses 11 and 12 say the following. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the ends of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed, lest he fall. The exhortation is for each one of us here in this building this morning. Look back at the history of Israel in the wilderness and understand that these things were recorded. Moses wrote them down. The apostle Paul repeated them to the Corinthians. And it's written for our learning, for our instruction. 
The Israelites all made it through the sea. Every one of them. They followed the pillar of cloud. They ate the manna. They all drank from the rock. Their carcasses were scattered in the wilderness, all but two of them. They did not make it into the promised land. And we are exhorted to be aware that we also can fall. If they could, we can. And we need to examine ourselves. That's the command here. Where are we? Are we keep guilty of keeping idols in our heart? That shiny new computer or pickup truck or whatever it is that you ladies make idols of. Are we involved in some kind of immorality? Maybe on the internet or somewhere. Are we trying God's patience to the limit? Are we grumbling as the Israelites did? Pride goes before destruction. We know that. And I want to read a few verses from the church, the letter to the Laodicean church that John the Revelator wrote. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched and pitiable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich in white garments. So that you may clothe yourselves and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love I rebuke and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. My goal here this morning is to raise awareness. Maybe there's some things you didn't think about recently or have never thought about. I want to raise awareness, carefulness and concern and alarm even if it's necessary. God is faithful We know that he will be faithful. He is faithful to all of us. He is not the problem. He is faithful. He makes it. He makes it all available to us to overcome, to be faithful. But we still have choice in the matter, don't we? Yes, we do. We make choices every day. We're not robots. We're not automatic. We need confidence in God, but not in our own ability, not self-confidence. I want to close then with some encouragement beyond the exhortation. The encouragement is that there is a way out. Verse 13, the last verse of our text from this morning. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. What he's saying is that nothing exceptional has happened to you. This is just standard run-of-the-mill temptation. You are not unusual in your situation. You may think you are. You aren't. This temptation has been happening since the beginning of time. The choice is yours. God gives the tools to resist the temptation. We must choose to use those tools. To use the provision that he has given us. He's a faithful God. 
We do not have a high priest, Hebrews 4, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Temptation begins with our desires, our natural desires. But God has made a way of escape so that we can overcome. It starts small and then it gets bigger. There's a story that I read of a young man who was telling his pastor how hard it was to live a godly life when there are temptations all around. Modern culture tells us we can't resist. The winds that blow us around are just too strong. And I've felt that way sometimes, and I'm sure you have, that the winds are just too strong, and I just can't resist. The pastor pointed out toward the shore, asking a young man to look at the ships that were sailing east and west along the shore. He quoted Ella Wheeler Wilcox, One ship sails east, another west. By the same winds that blow, tis the set of the sails, not the gales, that tell the way we go. That's profound. That's profound. It's not the winds that drive us around, it's how we set the sail. It's the way that we set the sail to take on those winds. They can make us stronger or they can, they can shipwreck us. And I think of those couple of men that Paul wrote to, I think it was Timothy, Hymenaeus and Alexander. He said they have suffered shipwreck. They were once a valid sailing ship in the sea of life, but they suffered shipwreck, and there's nothing but just pieces of wreckage on the shore. The weight of escape. How do we get the way out? I want to read for you the uh, lyrics of an old familiar song. Yield not to temptation, it says, for yielding is sin. Each victory will help you some other to win. Fight manfully onward, He'll uh, dark passions subdue. Look ever to Jesus, he'll carry you through. To him that overcometh, God giveth the crown. Through faith we will conquer, though often cast down. He who is our Savior, our strength will renew. Look ever to Jesus, he'll carry you through. Okay, how to wrap this thing up? We need to learn from history. That's the point this morning. We need to learn from history. The failures of the past. That's why Paul said to the Corinthians they were written down so that we could look at those failures and not do as they did. Do things much better than they did. We share life experience with millions who have been there in the past. If we're Christians, we have gone through a great deliverance and now are free to serve God. Will Will we be careful in our Christian experience? Will we take the heed to the warning signs in our lives, the idolatry, the immorality, the testing of God, the grumbling? God has provided a way of escape for us. Let's move forward under God's power and God's control. So that the thing that's remembered about each one of you here is not that we sank out in the ocean, but that we are sailing on and we will safely harbor someday. God bless you.